You're listening to Bella Figura, the tradition of living beautifully. I'm your host, Dolores Alfieri Taranto. And on this show, we talk spirituality for the rest of us with a focus on the art of beautifying all facets of your life using heritage, culture, beauty by hand, ancestral traditions, and old world style as a means to do so. Welcome back, folks. This is episode seven in season three, and I am thrilled that you're here with me once again. We are definitely in the dog days of summer, and I myself am now in full on getting ready for my big trip to Sicily. I've spent the past months really diving into this project. As many of you know, if you follow me over on Instagram, Shay Elliott of the Elliott Homestead and I, along with our families, or at least part of Shay's family, because her family is a lot bigger than mine. She has four children, and I have one, are going to Sicily. Shay is a huge lover of Italy, like so many of you, and of course, as you know, as I am, and I'm going to show her around the homeland. And while we're there, we're going to do some amazing projects, some cooking, cooking with some amazing people, and I just cannot wait to introduce you all to these experiences and to these people and to these very special places in Sicily that I have lined up for us to visit. So definitely stay tuned for that. I'm going to be sharing a lot of the trip over on Substack, a lot of the behind the scenes, a lot of footage of Shay and I and our families just doing this kind of half vacation, half work project. So if you want to be a part of that, definitely head over to Substack. It's Dolores Toronto at Substack.com. And you can also just click the link in the show notes below and head over there. I will share content, uh, some content for the free subscribers, but a lot of the content will be behind a paywall. It's really affordable. It's like $5 and a few nickels a month if you choose the yearly option. And uh, of course, you're going to get some great content on top of the content I give you here on the podcast and free on Instagram. So definitely go ahead and check it out. Many of you are familiar with my guest today, Mary Beth Bonfio, because she was a guest on um, season one. She actually helped me kick off the podcast. She was my very first guest in my very first season, and she holds a dear place in my heart. Our experiences overlap in a lot of ways, as do our interests, and I often feel that she and I are talking about many of the same things, but we talk about them in different ways. You know, her vocabulary, her way of speaking, her approach to things, and mine differ, but the subject matter has so much overlap. And I love that because a big part of finding your people is finding who speaks to you in a way that resonates with you. So I love talking to people who are doing similar work that I am and their uniqueness and my uniqueness for that matter just shines through. And Mary Beth is definitely one of those people. And before I tell you a bit more about Mary Beth, I do just want to take a second here to talk about season three sponsor House of Tokamon. Sources, non-toxic, old world style, vintage rugs, that are not only gorgeous and durable, but authentic. Owner and founder Annabelle Alsup, also soon to be mother of five, Annabelle juggles a lot and she does it really well, is offering Bella Figura listeners 25% off any rug. As you've heard me talk about, the rugs we're bringing in from these big box stores, people are toxic and we're trying little by little, right, to live more natural, less toxic lives. It's really difficult in this day and age to be completely 100% natural. I for sure am not, but I try as much as I can, as I can, 
to ladle in more of that into my life and into my family's life. And these rugs are totally helping me to do that and they're gorgeous. They will transform any room you put them in. So go ahead and check out hotrugs.net. That's where these rugs for House of Tokamon are hosted. I will link to that in the show notes. And don't forget to use the code BELLA25 for 25% off any rug. Okay, now it's time to introduce you to Mary Beth Bonfio. Mary Beth Bonfio's dynamic and varied work is not simple to summarize. She is a writer, writing instructor and guide, an intuitive, a midwife, and a folk root worker dedicated to exploring the ancient wisdom of her Sicilian heritage. Her Radici Siciliana gatherings, which attendees have described as not a vacation but a pilgrimage and a rite of passage and a week-long ritual take people to remote and traditional areas of Sicily to explore ancient folkway practices, such as tarot cards, ancient recipes, traditional dance and storytelling, cheese making, basket weaving, as well as creating a space for attendees to explore their own ancestral healing. She lives in upstate New York with her three daughters and longtime husband. All right, let's jump on in. Mary Beth. Welcome to Bella Figura. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Having so we were, gonna, of course, we were going to originally have just like a little chat to catch up and uh, you talk about your amazing trip to Sicily that you just had. And as I was getting ready to sit with you this morning, I thought, why don't we do a whole episode because the audio over on Substack. I'm, I'm trying to keep it to, you know, a bonus audio, like 20 minutes or so. And I thought, what are the odds Mary Beth and I will speak for 20 minutes, only 20 minutes. So, <laughs> so we're <laughs> professional talkers. <laughs> exactly. So we're pivoting here on the fly and I'm sure, you know, it'll be a, a great conversation. So, so welcome back. You are now the second two-time guest for Bella Figura. I had uh, Mallory Voudois on again a few weeks ago, and she was also a guest on my first season. So I, I obviously have a soft spot for the two of you. Yay. <laughs> I've been wondering where she was. I saw her pop up on your feed and I was excited and I've got to like, she's, she's yeah. like still, as she says in semi-retirement, she's just doing some other things and just, it feels yeah. good to her right now. But I think she's researching a new book and kind of finding her way into Beautiful. the next phase. I said, good for you. Well, yeah. She's like, I don't even know social. Like when I come back, it's going to be a whole other world. And I said, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> good, know, luck. Right? <laughs> good luck. Figuring it out because I don't know what I'm doing and I've never got off. So yeah. um. <laughs> I, just figured, I just figured out how to make a reel and I'm sure I'm totally like already ancient yes. by, by tomorrow. Around. Same thing here. I, I exactly the same thing. Okay. I'll do reels now. You know, you kind of, your arm gets twisted yeah. <laughs> because you think, oh, I don't want to do them, but then you're doing all this other work to build this message, right. And to do the work you're doing and to be able to do it sustainably that you're just cutting off your nose to spite your face. You know, the world is just not waiting for you. It doesn't matter. It does not care that you do not want to do reels. <laughs> it will just leave you behind. So anyway, I'm like, it takes me 30 minutes to make something that's 30 seconds long. And then that's... finally I was like, I'm just going to have fun with it. Yes. Just adjusting so that it works with what you're doing anyway. Yeah. You yeah. know, let's start by you telling everyone a little bit about your roots and the people you come from. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. So that was, I always loved, I love doing this so much. I feel it's like a little mini altar space that we create when we talk about this. It's I love really that. I'm certainly yeah, trying to create something like that. So I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. All right. I'm going to start with my, my mother's side because um, she's my mama. And I mm -hmm. came from her. So my mother's uh, part, half Piemonte say, and, and half Polish. And my papa was born in a little village in the Italian Alps called Benaus. Mm -hmm. And I was actually, for the first time ever, went there um, in May. It was really amazing. And my mother's mother's from Poland. And I, I know very little about my Polish um, 
roots and culture and everything because the Italian of, of us all just takes up all the space. And I think Polish people assimilated very much easier and much earlier. Mm. And on my father's side, who rest in peace, just recently died in April. Um, he was, um, both of his parents were born in Sicily. And after a lot of research, we found out that his mother's mother, though, out of all the, you know, the mysterious stories of the Contadini that have to like move around at certain points to find work. His mother's mother was actually born in uh, the uh, around the southern Chilento coast of Campania. Oh, you and recently so found that out? I recently found that out. Not not very long ago at all, like maybe in the last like year and a half, hmm. two years. And so the Dorso family and we were my sister and I actually went there in May and we met my father's mother, uh, mother's mother. So my father's my father's Nona's family. Right. Right. And, um, wonderful. It was really wonderful. Mm. What, a, what a beautiful place. And so it's gorgeous there. I've been there. Yes. Beautiful. And that was just kind of like a twist in that, in that, uh, that place, because Sicily is just such a, a big calling for me. And my father was a very proud Sicilian American because that's where he kind of just felt like he was from. And so we found this out and we were actually able to find it out, you know, before he died and explain it to him. And he was like, really, you know, he's just, like, wow. Was he was he all right with that or did, yeah, did it bite too much into his Sicilian? Like, okay. <laughs> no, no, we know because he always said his mother said that her some of her family was from like Salerno and he never really understood. And and, and my nonna didn't talk a lot about a lot of things because right. you know a lot of these people had a lot of pain, mm-hmm. a lot of trauma around their stories and it was very hard for them. And her mother actually died when she was a year old. So she didn't even have that much information. We, my sister and I were digging, we dug through records and documents to finally find her mother's name. And kind of through that, we found like, uh, we found some records, we found a death record and we saw where she died. So we were able to find, and now we got to hang out with our family there and they're wonderful. And I actually got to see the home my bisnona was born in and the land that her father tended um, with grapes and olives and it's still there in the family. So I'm sure that meant so much to you. Yeah, it did. So that's kind of my my, my root story. And then I was born and raised in Jamestown, New York, which is south of Buffalo, kind of lived all over the country. And now I'm, I'm back here in upstate New York. Not as upstate as Buffalo, but you're, but you're upstate. (laughs) If you're anywhere in Manhattan, you're upstate. That's basically north of the city. Yes. (laughs) And you went and had this trip just, I mean, days after your father, a week or so, right? After your father passed away. Yeah. I left, I left the day after his funeral. Yeah. You had this planned. I'd had it planned. My sister and I were going to leave on May 1st always. And then the, the pilgrimages that I organized were um, taking place kind of like mid-May anyway. So my sister and I were going to have these two weeks of going to all of our ancestral villages together. And, you know, my father would have wanted us to. And so we just kind of like, we just kept with it. And we, you know, with, you know, Italian deaths too, you don't really wait around. You don't wait for months and months to figure out a memorial or this or that mm. or the other. Like somebody dies you bury them. And so we had like a week to plan, um, his funeral. It was so wild. And then like, basically her and I just got on a plane, um, the day after his funeral, we were, it was so, it was so surreal. We were both just like, Whoa, what just happened? This is so wild. Like we were like in this deep grief, but we were also like going, we were going to grieve like where he is, who he is, like in a place of who he was. So uh, yeah, the, the timing for someone like you was incredible to me, you know, just watching from afar, you make this trip and knowing that your father had passed away and how uh, close you were to him, the relationship you have with your family. I, I can't imagine a better person to be in that situation than you. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I, and I never really, I'm not even sure if my father truly understood what I was doing there, what I had been trying to build or weave there, but I just have to tell you something funny. And I know you will get it just because, you know, I know you were raised by Italians in New York and surrounded by them. My father was a really interesting man. He, you know, he had to drop out of school when he was like in sixth grade and he had a hustle, he had to do a lot of things. And one of the things he did to make money was he ran, he ran, 
I mean, I don't know if there's another word for it, junkets to like Atlantic City and Las mm. Vegas. Mm. Okay. Like he would gather the people together, organize them. They would charter a plane or whatever. And then he would kind of like facilitate that experience for them. I don't really know what it entailed, but my father was, you know, he was, he was into hustling, gambling. like you said. Yeah. He was a mm-hmm. hustler. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a hustler. Mm-hmm. You know, since he was born in the depression. This is what, this is how doing he, what he had to do to make money for his family. Seven kids. Right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we're in the hospital, you know, days before he died and where uh, he's walking uh, with the physical therapists and I'm walking with him and we're all, we're walking together and they're just kind of seeing how he's walking and they're like, you're doing so well. And, you know, he starts telling the stories. He was kind of on the verge of, of entering dementia, but you know, he was, okay. he's 90, he's 94. Yeah. So he was kind of just, so he would just tell anybody stories. And so he started telling some stories about the old days and, you know, his, his in the enclave that he was raised and the kids he hung around with and just different funny, funny stories. And they were laughing. They loved him. And they were like, oh, have you ever been to Italy? And he's like, no, no, I've never been before. But he like looked at them and he looked at me. He's like, well, she, she, she goes, she runs junkets there. She runs junkets in Sicily. And I just died. I they looked at me and I was like, I pilgrimages yes. I mean, it's so funny and I you do take people there though you do organize <laughs> it and take people there <laughs> I know and at that moment I was like well he was making this connection, this connection. and like kind of this understanding and oh, I, I love that like he was proud of course yeah I mean and for what it's worth my mother definitely has no idea what I'm doing either I mean I try to explain it to her but it, it's just another generation another world I, I mean how could I possibly yeah. She could, ha- she can't really have a sense. I mean, you and I just figured out how to do reels, let alone my 70 something immigrant Italian mother knowing, oh, it's an online brand. She's like, oh no, she doesn't work. She's yeah. home. <laughs> <laughs> She's Actually, raising we her baby. Yeah. seven all the time. I, <laughs> don't know if I've ever been busier. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, when you, when you arrived, so you, you this trip was twofold. You were going with your sister and you went on your own and you met your father's family, but you were also doing your Radici trip, correct? Yes. Two of them. Oh, you did two of them while you were there. I did one in May, one from the uh, middle of May to the end of May, and then one from the beginning of June to to mid-June. Amazing. Yeah, and they both, they were beautiful. And, you know, we had a couple hiccups here and there with COVID, but it was Mm. mostly really incredible. Yeah, they were amazing trips. Um, Tell us a little bit about these trips. So the one that I did in May was kind of a traditional ancestral arts, I call them. And I realized the other day, and I was talking to um, Francesco, who's a person I partner with there. He's a a licensed guide really. So he is like my connection. He's my dear friend. He's my, my brother basically. And so he's my person that I organize with. So everything goes really smoothly. And he, you know, I would never say the word tourism, but he does, but he's like, we, we do relation, we do relationship tourism. And I started laughing. I was like, you know what, like you are so right in. So it's really like this relationship kind of weaving together that happened organically. I don't even know if I planned it. Um, But what we do is we, we visit elders we learn how to make the bread in the way the people in the mountains still are making the bread. And we learn to sit with somebody who's made cheese for, I don't know how many generations, like a pastoralist off grid, you know, we basket, we, we dance, we, you know, we party, we have drink wine and eat food. And, um, we pilgrimage to specific sites um, for the Madonna. And, and, and all of those things are awesome because they're very different and they're very unique and they're very much like unlike how we live daily here, right? right. We're doing things and we're meeting people that are, and they're very emotional because somebody's always recognizing their papa or their nono and one of the old men, you know, and, and it, and it, it brings up a lot and somebody's always recognizing their grief for what has changed. And somebody's always just getting lots of dopamine hits from all of the joy and stimulation of just being in, in Southern Italy, you know, right. um, but really food but- alone will do it. 
just the food alone. <laughs> you know, you're just like, oh, so, you know, you never I'm like waiting for the next meal. It's just always there. <laughs> so true. I'm like, I'll just be over here with this fresh loaf of bread and these figs. See you later. Oh, and this fresh cheese that was just driven over here on a bike. <laughs> By an like old lady. I'm good. Sensual experience. You know, you're like, absolutely. Oh God, is they know this? how to live. Yeah. They know how to live. Mm-hmm. And, and in that, I, I recognize there's just like the people that come, the people that come start build like sometimes lifelong, I think lifelong friendships. I don't know. It hasn't been a life, but they're building relationships together. They're building relationships with their, I think in the, with their ancestors and not everybody has a Sicilian ancestry and not even everybody has Italian that comes. I mean, there's a oh, few really? people. That, no, there's a few people that are just really interested in learning and being there. And thus far, the weaving and connection of that has been really beautiful and um, really nice and reciprocal to understand that we all have, we all, we all carry this with us. Like we all carry and like, it's still alive in, in Southern Italy in a lot of places. Like the divine feminine is still alive and well. These relationships are still alive and well. These old ways are still alive and well in many places, not everywhere, but in many places. And so this kind of like relationship with that, like understanding their own ancestral practices is like being in relationship to something that is still alive and well, that maybe you don't get every day and being in relationship with each other. It's really beautiful. And um, it's also kind of griefy because I think that, we also realize that when we come back home, it's like, how do we integrate? What do we do now? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you've seen another way, experienced yeah. another way. And then quickly, the June trip was similar, except we, we really worked with the plants. Everything was about like food is medicine and plant is medicine and the ancestral plants of the land and what these plants were used for, what our ancestors used these plants used for, what, what our grandparents used these plants. I love that. What plants came with us to the new world, what came with them to the new world and are still being used. And it was really nice. I had two herbalists who are Italian, Southern Italian American that were there and, um, and a whole bunch of plant plant people came and we just we just savored um being in nature eating. yeah i love that yeah it was nice. the um episode that i just did with mallory we focused on food and food as it relates to connecting to your ancestors you know in the kitchen just in general as a space where we can really slow down and and in a way meditate and take yeah. the time to pray, you know, while we're cooking, even if it's just this momentary connection, you're making dough and you just take a second to recognize that the flower is the flower that so many women before you who created you also used. And it's yeah. just a second that you, you know, you could just take a second to do that. And in that moment, you've you've meditated, you've paused, you've slowed down, you've reconnected to something larger than this rat race. It seems to always be consuming us. Absolutely. I love that. I, I, especially with the kneading of the dough and the flour, like that's, I know there's something about dough. I'm going to, I'm going to make pasta again tonight. It's just because I want to make pasta. It's a, it's such a beautiful, (laughs) it's it's actually quite simple. It's not as complicated as, as people might think. I agree. It, cause it is simple and it's so very few ingredients and, and yeah, each of those ingredients, yeah, the flour and the wheat, mm-hmm. think about that. And you, it's just like the meditation of just like having, again, that connection of like, oh, the relationship of my ancestors hands on here and the woman before them. And even that devotion to the grain goddess, like who is, who, who Mary became, you know, if you mm-hmm. look at the more ancient pre-Christian religion, they were like, they were like worshiping the grain. So it's just mm. like, there's so much history and just taking a moment and slowing down and recognizing like the flower. It's like, Ooh, right. <laughs> yeah. There's spe- a lot in that cup of flour. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I have been reading this book called Sicily. Cause I, I also am going to Sicily uh, in the end of August and doing a trip, uh, not yeah. a tour trip, but I'm doing a work project collaboration and yes I'm really looking forward to it and I've been doing some reading on Sicily and the biggest thing I that seems to stick with me is how Sicily was the granary of Rome 
Yeah. And that up until the 40s, up until World War II, maybe even after a little bit World War II, in some parts of Sicily, grain was used as, as money, as a currency. Oh. Grano. <laughs> That's your right. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Grano. Yes. Like this is, this what? tells you a lot about our people. Yes. And the land. Yeah. Absolutely. I was, I was using every time I was talking about money in Sicily and with people, I would, that would be like my thing. I'm like, grano, (laughs) so universal, like grain is like equivalent to their abundance. Yes, exactly. Are you learning the Sicilian dialects? Any chance? No, it's hard. I'm still, I am still struggling through learning Italian. I mean, actually had a conversation with somebody this morning about it. Um, There's so much language trauma in me around like my dad not being allowed to speak it, that it is taking me so long to grasp the Italian language. Um, I finally just found a teacher though, locally in Poughkeepsie actually, who's like eight years old and maybe like five, five foot. Aww. four foot five <laughs> I don't know she's beautiful and um so I'm, I'm learning a little bit more but no I and she's she's Sicilian actually she's Sicilian. Born that's raised, great born and raised in Sicily until she was like 20 so oh, she wow. was like first Italian then <laughs> Sicilian. she's smart yeah that's probably a good way to do it I'm trying to like imagine like how to say it, but there was that whole relationship piece. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about was like what I was, I was really noticing a lot. Like, you know, I think grief heightens your senses a lot. And I was noticing a lot more and I was just noticing how people really relate to each other there. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm speaking in like specific little villages, but I was just like, we treat each other like so shitty here. Like if we don't agree with each other or we have different ideas about something, we like, just kind of like, we just block, ignore, cut people off. And I was thinking about these people in this, these villages that have to like greet each other every day and be in this relationship. And they probably don't maybe like each other or they have maybe different yeah. political opinions or maybe they don't, you know what I mean? They don't agree about whatever, but like, they're still like, in these relationships because they have no other choice, (laughs) which I'm sure some people think is bad, but I also, I don't know. It really just got me thinking about how we behave. And one of the things that, that, that again, that I hope is just like the witnessing of that when people go there with me is just to take note of how to treat people or even, you know, how to be in that connection with people, which I find to be just more vibrant there and then the other thing was I wanted to talk about this place we went to and that relationship people have with their ancestors like once they know or or just to know that those we've left behind Mm. or those that that stayed I should say those Mm. that stayed Mm. that was a really powerful thing in, in in place and um interesting just to think about like if people are listening just to kind of think about that anybody from any diaspora anywhere doesn't matter where you know, I think that there's a very big psychology to that. Those who, those who stayed and those who left that probably abides in every culture, but I've certainly seen it in ours. And I, I know that some Italian Americans haven't experienced this because they might not have relatives still in Italy that they've had to deal like deal with and negotiate all their lives. So it's a little different, but I think for those of us, especially who have grown up with Italian relatives still in Italy and going back there a lot and going into this community that's really established that your parents grew up in and left. And then they go back and there's all these people that they grew up with and all these places they grew up in that kind of still belong to them, but don't belong to them, you know? And then they usually come back wealthier than the people who were there. Uh, more, you know, outwardly sophisticated looking. And there's a, there's a thing there. It's not really easy to describe. I think a lot of the condescension that Italian give Italians give Italian Americans comes Mm -hmm. from this. That's my Mm -hmm. personal theory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I feel that 
I have a, uh, I have a different experience just because we have families that came over at different times. So my grandparents came over in the early 1900s, right? The 19 teens and your parents came right post-war, right? Yes. 50s. And um, in the late 60s, they came in the late 60s. So really late, you know, late as far as like what we can, you know, consider immigrant instead of expat or people moving around or however that looks. And that experience for you, I I can just feel that like, wow, these are people that you've stayed connected with. There was means of communication. There was means to go back and visit and that discomfort. There's a, there's like an in-between, right? Like you're of there, you specifically too are of there, but not really. Mm -hmm. Your parents are for sure of there, but also not that much anymore. Really. And for me, I had to, I had to seek my family. Right. And I had to find them and still I'm just a strange, I'm really just a stranger. Mm-hmm. I'm just a, you know, and also a lot of that same, this like kind of Americanization or this education or sophistication, or even this idea that we're more necessarily more financially successful. <laughs> I'd like to say, no, we just are in debt. <laughs> <laughs> you we're, just, we're just dying from working so hard. Yeah, That's all we're doing. <laughs> 24 seven. We have no siesta. We have no 1 PM to 4 PM rest period where everything shuts down. And we don't have necessarily multi-generational houses being passed to us. That is a big part of it. That's a very big part of it. Yes. Yes. We live, we live in this one illusion and are kind of seen in this other illusion. And some of it is truth. Of course, you know, like my, my parents worked very hard to make sure their kids went to college and these Mm -hmm. kinds of things that were important. Um, and it also costs a lot of money, you know, like it yeah. put people in debt. Yep. And I think that that kind of in between that in between space is very uncomfortable and, um, and very sad because I've never really felt, and this is just this me personally, I've never felt a lot of like, I don't really know what it means to be American. I really don't, I don't understand it. And I, I grapple with that a lot because I'm very grateful for this land and this place, very grateful. Um, and I also have this pain of like, not really understanding what it means. Like, what are we supposed to be doing here? Mm. Because there isn't much of a, a there isn't a you know unifying culture. Even in the diaspora, the Italian American diaspora, it's so fragmented in what that means. And there's so many different types of us. There's so much there should be because we're <laughs> right. unique people, right? Yeah. We're all mm-hmm. unique people. But even mm-hmm. in that, like I think that's the one thing that we like really love our we love our culture. And so it brings us together. But even in that, but there's not like an overlying culture in the right. United States. There's, really your, there's because- your Brooklyn Italian Americans. <laughs> And then us, the upstate Italian Americans are a little bit different than that, you know, are a lot different. And then you're, you're like taking it out from that and in the country, every part's different. And then people within that that happens in Wisconsin or in in Illinois, I don't even know what goes on in those States, to be honest, like where, and it's the same. And obviously Italy, each there's micro cultures, micro languages, micro foods, but there's a sense of, of of something. When you go there, you, you feel an energy there. And, and here, I guess, I just, I don't know what that means. And then when I go there and like, I, I talk a lot about like reclaiming in which I'm not quite sure is a thing because how could you reclaim something that you're actually really kind of not like, cause mm-hmm. I'm really not Italian. I'm not Italian. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm just mm-hmm. of people from that land. Mm-hmm. And there's a, like a kind of like it's also being in relationship with like being in the in-between being in this liminal space and, and, you know, really wanting to share with the people that you meet there, the family there, like, you know, who you are and what it's like. And then kind of understanding that they don't actually really understand. They don't really get it. Like they don't really get right. What transpired in these, you know, 50 to a hundred years for the diaspora at all. And it might even be hard for them to understand why you feel so pulled to to be going there and be connected to it, especially in Sicily. I had uh, Melissa Muller or the author, Melissa Muller on, she wrote a cookbook on Sicily, traditional of traditional foods. It's a wonderful book. She's a wonderful person. She's Italian American. She grew up right next to me in the town over right. Small world. Yeah. And 
she said what her and her husband are doing in terms of the organic farming and the organic winery, they see Sicily's jewels. Like they can see its beauty and what it's worth. But she says part of their frustration and part of their goal is to get the people around them to see it because they see a land that people, first of all, has been invaded more times than you can possibly keep track of. And secondly, that, that loses people to other countries, to America especially, and they feel left behind. So they don't see Sicily in the same way perhaps you do. Yeah. Not all I, of them, but you know, I'm, I'm generalizing. Well, I've been yeah. questioned. I've been questioned, like, why are you here? Why are you doing this? Like, because we were like, oh, have you been, did you go to Toramina? Did you go to, right. did, you know, all these places? I was like, no, I didn't bring them there. No, we're actually right. just staying in the mountains for the most part. Right. And you're like, why? Exactly. You know, and I have to, I'm like, this is really important. <laughs> and this is the, this is what at least the people I work with crave. Mm. This is what they're craving. Not like, you know, Sicily's beautiful and there's plenty of beautiful tourist places that you can go to and they're wonderful. There's no judgment around wanting to go there because they're gorgeous. But like, why, why would you want to take people into my like rickety old little kitchen here? <laughs> and, exactly. And then when they, there's been moments where we've, we've understood or they've understood and I've watched grown men shed tears Aww. of that recognition. Mm. And just in, in this last trip, it happened a few times where we like I, the people you're visiting, the Sicilians you're visiting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. And then I, I recognize that this witnessing, like you're witnessing me in what I crave or what I feel like I've lost or what I just want to learn about so badly. And I'm witnessing you in this everyday thing you do that you don't even think is special anymore mm. because, or maybe you think it's special, but you, you're wondering why I would think it's special, but I'm witnessing you in it. And all of a sudden it's like, that's where some wild uh, regulation of the body I feel happens. I don't want to use the word healing. I, I don't know about that word, but just like this moment of like, Oh, at least I know why I work my ass off putting these trips together. Right. This is the moment, <laughs> the moment of like, right. oh, this is the moment where uh, it was like, I understand. Mm. Friends, to remind you that I do have a shop, bellafigurastore.etsy.com, but you can also access it through Instagram by just clicking on the view shop button on my page. I'm offering beautiful old world style photographic prints that you can hang around your home to add a bit of what you value into your home and be surrounded by it. There's also old world style jewelry, vintage inspired jewelry and vintage items. I will link to that shop in the show notes. And Dry Farm Wines, my favorite wine of choice, continues to be a partner for season three. Dry Farm Wines sources organic, biodynamic, clean, pure wines that will transform your table and your palate. I cannot go out to just any old restaurant anymore and order any old wine on the list because I have been drinking Dry Farm Wines now for so many years. You can get a penny bottle, bottle for just a penny, in your first order by using the link dryfarmwines.com forward slash Bella Figura. Of course, that link is also in the show notes. And when you get there and you don't see an option that works for you, be sure to hit the chat button. They are super responsive and very, very customer service oriented. So they will help you craft whatever it is you're looking for. Are you looking for a mix of rosé and white wine, but you don't see that option offered for you to just click on? Do the chat, send them an email, and they will curate that box for you. You can get shipments once every month, once every three months. You can get one shipment just to try it and then put it on pause. Don't let the static options that are there intimidate you or discourage you. Definitely reach out to them. We have been drinking sparkling rosé and sparkling white wine 
all summer so far from Dry Farm Wines, and we're loving it. I can open up a bottle and not worry about there being additives, dyes, chemicals, toxins, and refined sugar. None of those things should be in your bottle of wine. And when you're going to the liquor store and just picking up a $9 bottle of wine off the shelf, that, my friends, more likely than not, is what is in your bottle of wine. But not so with the wines that drive farm sources from small family vineyards throughout the world. Again, use the link dryfarmwines.com forward slash Figura linked below in the show notes, and you will receive a bottle of these beautiful wines for just a penny in your first order. Yeah, grown farmer just in tears and he spoke Sicilian and his daughter was translating and she actually said to me, oh, he is just so touched. Like he's so happy that you care. He didn't think anybody really cared like that left because he had lost family to immigration at one, you know, at one point. It's really, that's really something. Mary really something. Yeah. And that's that relationship. I was like, well, we're making like weird relationships that are, are so spectral and are so ancestral that we don't even understand what's happening. You know, if, if, you know, me and I know you, like I, I, I sense into more than just these bodies and into a spirit world. And that's just my, my spirituality or my practice. And I can, I can sense something is shifting. And that was the other thing. One of the places that we went to, and I think this is maybe a good moment to even to, to talk about it in one of the places we anchor in is a little village called Petrolia Sotana and it's in the Maranilla mountains. And, um, it's a sweet, sweet little place, actually like a really special, special village. And in the village, there's this ancestral museum it's called, and it's just run by three brothers. <laughs> Wow. And I don't really know. I don't, yeah, I don't really know how they even had access to this place. I know that their family's home and land are a little bit above it. And then underneath it's kind of an underground lay, um, um, floor. And then where like the old wine vats are and a lot of the, where they fermented and then another level and then another level where there was an old stove and on these three levels they have curated and I put quote unquote curated I have a niece who's an archaeologist and she would be cry at how it's curated Uh, in in a good way or bad way no because she is a professional archaeologist okay okay it's not cataloging it's like my god yeah and they have some of the most I mean they have ancient ancient agricultural tools with carvings on them with like mythological stories like everything detailed they have this rock with this symbol on it that they think may be like one of the oldest symbols ever found in Sicily and it it looks like um it actually looks like a uterus looks like a little Mm. uterus they have I just they have artifacts of all kinds all kinds. And, um, we're not allowed to take pictures in it. He wants it to be a sensory experience. Like he didn't say that, but I get it. Like this isn't meant for social media or the internet or to share. This is meant to come and be in it and be in the presence of it. And there's one room in this place that he only allows those from like the Italian diaspora that went elsewhere, primarily to the United States. And that's it. Nobody else is allowed to go in there. Anybody else that visits is not allowed in this room. And so I was very curious. I was like, really? And Francesco's like, yeah, he's only letting me like take you, you guys can come in here. And I was like, wow. And so we went in and the whole room is, is like kind of set up as a little bedroom but in it has all of these actual, um, there's tons of adorata, like many, many mothers of sorrow everywhere. And um, all of these written prayers for everybody who left for their safe return home. And the man explained it, that these were all found as like altarpieces for those who left, that they would come back. And there were beautiful, I mean, 
like crocheted artistry around. It was like so much love and detail and intention were put. There was a whole area of like somebody's collections of postcards that were sent um, back. And it was basically a shrine. And he said, this room is a living prayer for those who left. And I mean, of course, I'm just crying. And he's like, but their prayers were answered. Mm. <laughs> like you're here right now. Mm. Mm-hmm. You're witnessing that witnessing piece, right? Mm. You're witnessing what they left behind. Like maybe they didn't get it in the terms of how they wanted it, right? They didn't right. get the families to come back. Right. And I think a lot of the turn of the century and early, like those early teens, people didn't necessarily leave to stay here. They left to make some money so that sure. they maybe come back and they didn't return. So it was just this really intense experience where you're like, whoa, they were thinking about us. That's, that's really wild. And the fact that three brothers somewhere in remote Sicily have put this together yep. is really, really compelling. And, and none of them have children. So it really, actually, it really um, concerns me because I'm like, who's taking care of this? Like, will the city take care of it? Well, I don't really know. It's on their private property. And the, there's a garden, there's an herb garden there that has been there for, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. He said that there's a, there's a, um, a grapevine that's like this, this big. So I don't know. It's like 800 year old grapevine that was found on the property. Um, and they have just loved and cared and tended to it. All of it. These are without any, go ahead. Well, with that, he was, he's a math teacher in the village. Like he's a math teacher. I'm not sure what his other brother does or the other, brother. I didn't need the third brother, but I know that there's three and the two were there. They were so excited too. They were like, so happy and excited to share this with us. It's not like an official museum or anything like that. It's just like in the village, you wouldn't even know passing. Yeah. When you went in, you were entering this like ancient time. I mean, the vat, the where they did the wine and 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 the different songs and the symbols that they would stamp into the wine. He had, has all of this information. It's like um, amazing. What you town is this in? Petrolia Sotana. It's right in the Madani. It's really beautiful. It is. It's really. It's mostly where we anchor in. And you should go there if you're in Sicily. Yeah, you just- I'm not sure. I'm gonna look and see if we're like even yeah. in that, you know, area. Region. Yeah. And then if we are, I'll probably. So do you know where, you, up. you know, Chefalu? Yes. So if you go up um, the mountains on the backside of, of Chefalu, that's, those are the Marania. And so oh. it's on the, it would, I guess it would be on the, the South side of those mountains. Okay. It's in the province. It's in, it's in Palermo. It's in the province. It's in, okay. It's in Palermo. Okay. I mean, it's probably kind of far it's from part of Palermo is what you mean. Yes. I understand. So that that's really amazing. It's, it's as if you found three brothers, you know, randomly somewhere in Sicily who get it. <laughs> I mean, not, you did not if, as if you did. No, who, who get it and who really thought it was, it's important for us to know those prayers that were left behind. And I think Dolores, I think, okay, that's what they left. They left these prayers that hopefully people will stumble into, walk into one day to know that they were prayed for and thought of and that were wanted back. What am I leaving? You know, like, what am I leaving to have a remnant that in three or four generations, you know, may we be blessed with that, um, will know what my prayer was for them. Mm-hmm. It's really made me contemplate a lot of like the digital world and like what, you know, what are the artifacts or what are, what are the altar places that can be preserved or that somebody will find. And, um, and I, and I think that it's nothing to stress about, but it's just something that I sit with and how important and and really intense that was for a lot of us to be in that, in that room, in that space, Um, because it was just, it was, it was alive. It was like alive. And like when you, we left, you're just like, wow. And then like, what is our, what is our role here now? Because it doesn't just end. It didn't end with them. It's interesting. You were just saying that they, you know, thought, believed it was important to save the prayers of those who stayed behind. And my first thought, when you told me about, especially the room that only Italians can go into or 
Italians, people of the Italian diaspora. My first thought was, oh, there's people thinking of us there. Cause it's right. right Cause it seems so often like we're thinking of them yeah. more than they're thinking of us. Yeah. Thoughtfulness to the point where they're like, we're only going to allow entry to them. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I like that. That deepens it. Like that's wise that that deepens. If they were just letting anybody in, it would still have been powerful. But the fact that there's a space made sacred held off only for the descendants of those who left. That is intense. It's only yeah. in the Sicilian countryside. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some other places, but rarely. And yeah, yeah. That's great. It, it just, I just like wanted to like plant that seed out there for, for anybody out there who wonder, you know, if they're thought about, or if it's just this one way sort of ancestral sort of presencing or, um, wisdom or reclamation or however everybody anybody wants to call it especially when they really kind of dive into not just the culture they were raised in but just like really trying to deepen into the practices of their people to um contemplate that or to know that somebody somewhere knows how important it might be to us exactly and that is to me you've just reminded me or shown me that there's a bond that remains, even though I've never been to that place. And even though those people don't know me, it's this kind of invisible, I don't know how I'm explain how I'm feeling right now. Is this this invisible tie that remains between us? Yeah. It's intense. It's some sort of real relationship that's still there that just need to know that it's there. Like, it's like, Yes. Just know it's it there. Never severed. Really. It's just, we just, something needed to happen to remember that it, it still exists actually. And maybe a reminder to do our work on this end to keep that going. Keep it going. Yeah. I think this is very deep. I've, I've talked about this a lot uh, in terms of language, you know, there's such a chasm because like you said, your, your father couldn't speak Italian. You don't know Italian. I often talk about my husband doesn't who's of Sicilian ancestry. He doesn't speak Italian. He's learning though now because I speak Italian around our son all the time. So he's learning words. It's, it's good. And how this is all related and it's all this very deep pain. There's a lot of pain there between all of these things, between the people that stayed behind the people who left the families that were broken apart. Yeah. The language that was not passed down. And the you, language is a big one. I feel like the language. Yeah. For so, so I was just going to earlier, you mentioned language and how you were taking classes and we moved on to something else, but I was going to say, I do speak Italian and I understand Italian even better. And I understand the dialects very well. And I speak the dialects and I have a lot of issues with the language. So oh. Yeah, exactly. So like, let, let's just like have that hang out there. Right. Yeah. Even when you know it and understand it and get it, uh, it's still, there's still a lot of issues that I have. And my husband and I, we went on our honeymoon, we went to Italy, Southern Italy, and I spoke Italian obviously, cause I'm the only one who could speak Italian. So we're going everywhere. And Meanwhile, these years I'm telling him, like, I don't really speak Italian very well. Like I, my Italian, I need to get better at it. It's this constant thing. Like if you are in my everyday life, you know, that Dolores does not think her Italian is very good and always wants to get it better. And is always like trying to get to that. Right. I don't know if that makes sense. Like there's always this project I'm going to get to. Yeah. And so we're walking around Italy and on our trip. And he, everybody we end up speaking to where they were at the restaurant, we're talking to people beside us or at the beach or whatever. I'll tell him what we're talking about. And then I'll say, yeah, she's saying my Italian's great. My accent's wonderful. (laughs) And still, I still have this issue. It's something that I feel like I could go to therapy to just talk about that. And then if I could somehow crack this and unpack it, I would be 
honestly, I would be liberated in some way. Wow. Yeah. That's how deep it runs. So if you're out there listening and you don't know your ancestral language or, you know, you're learning it and you feel awkward, know that some of us who even know it feel that way. Right. Yeah. It's deep. I think it's because growing up, I couldn't speak it fluently. I still don't think I can, but I don't know. I, people tell me otherwise. So that I was surrounded by all these Italian native Italians who spoke it very naturally the way I speak English. And I kind of got laughed at a lot when I said things wrong, which I, in hindsight, think maybe was, it was cute to them. Right. But in my mind, they were laughing at me, Right. you know, and I just the language got like worse and worse and worse. Cause I just can't, I couldn't like let it out. I was just, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's, oh my gosh. It's kind of like a little bit trapped or locked. Trapped. It's the trap. So I've definitely gotten better at that, but I'll tell you what, I feel most comfortable still to this day speaking Italian when nobody in my family is around. Oh my heart. <laughs> How messed up is that? Yeah. Which well, is crazy because I, I should be so talking weird. to them all the time in Italian. Yeah. Right. You should be because you have people. I have people you. around who, yes, a lot of people talking all the time. And you have some sort of like self consciousness that's just like, ugh. It's exactly right. It like reminds me with my singing voice. It's like, if I could just let it out, everything, I would everything, feel so I, I would so, feel free. I would have like a, this yoke that I've had around my neck for a really long time off. And I feel the same way, kind of similarly with like, I know it lives in me. I I heard, I mean, my dad did speak. I mean, he spoke a strange mix of things, right? Because, because he wasn't right. He was raised by somebody who only spoke maybe Sicilian, but then an enclave with Calabrians or or other people who, then they had their own sort of dialect Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. an American language which it is actually a language mm-hmm, or a dialect mm-hmm. in itself, a dialect right? yep. we pronounce yeah. things and you know I heard it and I've taken lots and lots of lessons I've spent many 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 days and months in Italy in Sicily and still it's just like it's in there and it's just like there's something that just oh I'm hoping Vita my new little Italian teacher will help me find the key to just unlock I, she a may a little bit, like, I don't ever expect you expect to be fluent, but just to be able to communicate freely in the way that I can feel it living in my body, that just something feels so scary. And so like, I can't do it. Mm, mm. It is in you. I believe that very strongly. And I know it's in me because when I am in Italy, for instance, with just my husband and I don't have anybody that I know watching me, quote unquote, it comes right out. And I actually often dream in Italian. I'm speaking Italian. I'm just, and it comes, there's no stuttering, pausing. I just, it comes out. I had my first dream in Italian and I wasn't the one speaking. Somebody was speaking to mm. me in Italian and I totally understood it. Like I knew mm. exactly what you were saying just recently, which was really beautiful. So you're on your way. I'm on my way, but when you think <laughs> about it, I only have one generation of, of, of a person one gen, one person who didn't speak right all the time fluently in his See? life. And, and even my mom, cause my, my papa spoke Piemontese, like one generation. And then think back of how many spoke, whatever dialect, absolutely you, you don't even have one. You don't, you're the one generation. So yep. it's like, it's when you think about cellular memory or when you think about our, our, you know, epigenetic memory, like language developed all of our brains mm-hmm. and come from these bodies who spoke this language. So it's definitely living within us. It's definitely alive. There's some, it's, there's some little key that we need to say to unlock. That's right. Well, <laughs> very well unlock. said. Yeah. And our, our locks may be different. You know that you have some of those issues too. Yes. That's why but I shared yeah. it so intimately that that's, that's definitely something I struggle with too. So take heart folks, but you know, maybe there's, there's always the future. Maybe I'll, I'll, maybe I'll get there. We'll see. So Mary Beth, I've been talking. I've heard you speak. I've, I have one more thing. Yeah. I think I've yeah. heard you speak Italian, maybe on the Italian American podcast, and it is so beautiful. So oh, thank I, you. I do hope that you speak. <laughs> 
Thank you. Thank you. I know I need to, I'm working on it. I am. I'm working on it. And I'm planning this trip to Sicily, which is in part a work trip. And I'm the, some of the folks coming with us are not Italian at all. And so I'm doing a lot of cold calls and I have to just turn on that Italian and do my best. So I'm just going for it. it. Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly right. So we've been speaking here for a while. I I do want to thank you for your time. I also want to let everyone listening know that we're going to wrap up here, but Mary Beth and I are going to, we're going to keep talking for a little bit over on Substack. Mary Beth, I'd love to talk a little more about this, the herb trip that you took where you were focused on herbs. And we could talk a little bit more about ancestral herbs, how to use them, what they represent. And I also want to talk about the workshop you're doing which is kind of based around caves, volcanoes, volcanoes, the sea, and all of them as, as ancestors and part of your ancestral memory and what that means. So mm-hmm. folks, if you want to hear that part of the conversation, head over to Substack. It's Dolores Toronto uh, at substack.com. And I'll link to that in the show notes. But for now, we'll sign off here to everyone who's listening. Mary Beth, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Talking about good stuff. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, my friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mary Beth Bonfio. Don't forget to follow me over on Instagram at Dolores underscore Alfieri underscore Taranto and Go ahead and introduce yourself. A lot of you have been doing that lately, and I really enjoy hearing from you. Shoot me a DM. Let me know you're listening to the show. Send any ideas you might have, and I'll try to pursue them. Here's to knowing your roots and cultivating a beautiful life from their power. Mm